I don't know if you've seen in the, the news over the past few years, things where sort of scandals have come out in the church where uh, things were not always as they seem to be. Um, so you may have heard of, um, for example, Jonathan Fletcher, who was the vicar for many years at Emmanuel Church Wimbledon. He was well known in um, you know, church circles. He was quite an influential uh, person. Um, and it came out uh, in the newspaper a few years ago that he had, for a long time, he had been abusing young men. And um, this had been going on and, and apparently no one had, had noticed it. Similarly, um, a year or two back, there was um, an evangelist called uh, Ravi Zacharias. He died um, a few years ago. Uh, and uh, he, was a, he traveled the world, you know, speaking and you know, evangelizing. And many people came to faith through him. And yet, it turns out that after he died, it all came out that, about um, abusing uh, women and about having inappropriate uh, relationships with uh, many um, different women uh, and so on. And you might rightly ask, how on earth does this happen? Now, how on earth does it happen that something on the surface can appear to be going well and can appear to be good, and yet if you look behind what's happening, there is real evil lurking and real problems. How does that happen? And I think that this passage, this letter in Revelation, is a really important letter for us to be thinking about as a church because it, it speaks, I think, into this kind of situation and says, you know, it helps us perhaps to have a, a bit of a spiritual checkup and to say, are we doing ourselves what is, what is right? You know, are the conditions in our lives, in our church, healthy? And that's what this letter is, is about. But just let's just put this into context before we look at the actual letter, because this is, it's written to a church in Ephesus, in a particular church. And um, Ephesus is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. You may know if you read uh, Acts, you know in Acts chapter um, 19, then they talk about um, Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it's in Ephesus. In fact, I think, do you remember a couple of years ago, two or three years, I think we looked, did Discipleship Explored as a Lent course. And do you remember the videos? I think they went to Ephesus and he looked at the ruins of this temple. You can still go and see it. It's in Turkey, in modern-day Turkey. And, um, and so there was a, you know, the, the, the Artemis temple was a massive thing for Ephesus. And Paul comes along preaching the gospel and there's a riot in the city because they're taking too many people away from Artemis. Um, so the early Christian church knew what it meant to have opposition they knew what it meant to face persecution. Uh, and that's the context of Ephesus. And um, this letter, Revelation, as far as we know, is probably written around, we think, about 90 AD. So maybe about 40 years after, after Ephesus was first. So this is a church that's about 40 years old at this point. So let's look at what the letter actually, actually says. Uh, it's, it starts out, as all of the letters start out, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Um, every letter has the same kind of opening formula. I don't know why it says to the angel. It, it might mean, it, an angel can mean a messenger. 
That's just what the word means. It means a messenger. Um, or it could be, it could be the, the leader of the church, you know, the, the, um, the pastor. Um, I think that the idea is, it seems to me, that uh, it, it's just this idea of it being to, to all of us. You know, that this is actually a message which is not just for this particular church at that time, but is actually for all of us to listen in on. And this is a, this is a message which is to all churches. And um, every opening statement, it starts, it kind of draws on this vision. Do you remember last week, we were looking at that amazing vision of Jesus Christ. And it says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, we looked at that wonderful vision of Jesus last week. And every, every, the, every letter starts with something connecting with Christ. So what does he say to them? Uh, well, he, uh, he, he commends the church. Uh, he says, I know your deeds. It's interesting, actually, he says that, isn't it? He doesn't say, I know your faith. He says, I know your deeds. And he says, um, they seem to be doing uh, pretty well. You know, so they're working hard for God. He says, I know your hard work and your perseverance. They are doing lots of things for the Lord. Um, they are striving for purity. You know, they want to stick to the message of the Bible and they want to stick to the, the right way of living. So he says, um, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So they are... Uh, they're sticking to the message of the Bible, they're sticking to the message of the apostles, and they, they don't tolerate wicked people. They don't t tolerate people who turn away from, uh, from God's ways, and they're commended for that. Um, and they persevere in suffering. It says there in verse 3, you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So they've kept going despite the persecution which they are they are suffering and as we as we heard at the beginning they must have been in, in Ephesus encountering some quite serious opposition from this Artemis um, cult in Ephesus so so they knew what it was to suffer for the Lord and and they're commended for that they they're working hard they're striving for purity they are enduring suffering in other words if God wanted to advertise what it meant to be a church, you know, if God was producing a brochure saying this is what the church should be like, he'd want to put Ephesus on the front cover, wouldn't he? You know, look at Ephesus. You know, they're working hard. They're, they're pure. They want to be pure doctrinally. They are um, they're enduring hardship and persecution. What a church. You know, imagine, look, they're doing so well. And yet... And yet, they come in for criticism. Verse 4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. They'd lost their first love. And Jesus says, Consider how far you've fallen. He says, All of that stuff that you're doing, the work, the, the perseverance, the purity, all of that stuff. You've, it, it's a terrible thing to fall away from love. Now, why is that so significant? 
Why is that such a significant thing uh, that Jesus says? Well, that's because life uh, should be all about love. That is literally the one thing that God wants us to do. You think about the, the greatest commandments that we had just at the start of the service. Think about what Jesus says. What are the greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second one is to love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus himself says those are the two greatest commandments. They are love is, is, is what God wants us to do. Again, Paul uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans, he says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Love is the fulfilment of the law. So we are to love others. That's We fulfil the law not by if you like, a black and white obedience to the letter of the law, but the obeying the law of love which stands behind it. So you think, for example, of, of do not murder. Yes, we shouldn't murder anyone, but what does that mean about how we should treat them instead? And this is, what, this is the point, isn't it? That we need to love people, not simply just avoid doing bad things to them. And uh, finally, the, the, um, Paul says the famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we looked at this as a church a few months ago, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul says that you can be as spiritual as you like, do as many things as you like uh, for God, but if you're doing it without love, it's all in vain. That actually love is the key. And it's very, it's possible, we learn from this passage, it's possible to be doing a lot of things seemingly for God, a lot of spiritual things, but not actually have love in your heart. And that is actually a very serious uh, problem. That's not a good place to be. And this is why Jesus says, back in uh, Revelation chapter 2, he says, uh, repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent... I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now that's a serious thing. He says, repent, turn away from that. He says, repent of doing those spiritual things, but doing them without love. Turn back to the love that you had at first. So otherwise I'll take away your lampstand. Saying, so, you know, you, you're going to stop being a church. If you don't start actually acting in love, you're going to stop being a church. You're not going to, you know, there's not going to be a, be a church in Ephesus anymore. And that's a very serious thing, isn't it? Um, but he says, there is a, a message of um, encouragement there in verse 6 again, but you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, or Nicolaitans, I, I'm not sure either how you pronounce that, which I also hate. There, there's no record of the Nicolaitans 
uh, it may be a symbolic thing. Um, it may be presumably some group who were just trying to draw the Ephesians away from God, perhaps, or trying to infiltrate the church. Um, looking at other letters, that may be the case. So they wanted to stay pure. They wanted to stay close to God. Uh, but they didn't have love. That was their problem. And so um, the letter finishes. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just another clue there that this is not just a letter for Ephesus, but this is a letter for everyone. Now, it was to Ephesus, but it's for, for us all to listen in on and to learn from. And um, I like that it says what the Spirit says. You know, we've got the, the Father speaking, we've got Jesus speaking, we've got the Spirit speaking. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when God speaks, they speak together and are all involved in this process. And um, the concluding, concluding bit, he says, to the one who's victorious. So to the one who's, this all often finishes to the one who's victorious. It's the one who persists, to the one who carries on with God, despite everything. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is looking ahead to the end of the book, looking ahead to the chapter 21, which is the, the image of the new creation, the, the new Jerusalem. And he's saying that those who are victorious will be there in the new creation and will eat from the tree of life. And that the paradise of God is really thinking about the Garden of Eden. And that's what God is restoring and God is bringing us into, is bringing us back, if you like, into the world as it should be, into that perfect world with the tree of life and, and so on. That's what the imagery is. So as we, we come to the end of this, uh, of this passage, let's just uh, take a moment to think about how this applies to us, or just some questions really for us to think about. I think the main message of, of this that really struck me is that orthodoxy, you know, being biblical, reading the Bible, praying, doing lots of things, everything, it, it means nothing without love. It means nothing without love. So how do we measure up to that as individuals? I think it's very easy to get into the, the habit of doing stuff for God, but not doing it out of love. Uh, I don't know if, if you've um, experienced this or, or come across this. There was um, someone in my, um, uh, in my dad's church uh, a few years ago who left the church because they were on the they sort of looked after the kitchen and um, you know the teas and coffees and things and someone wanted to come in and, and change you know help out and I said no no I'm not having this and they left because they couldn't do the kitchen their way basically and you think did someone really want to serve out of love or had the kitchen become their own little empire which they just wanted to now, it's very easy for that to happen. And that's what happens when we start serving without love. It's because we're not doing things because we want to love God and we want to love others, but because we want our little empire, because our service, if you like, becomes our sense of self-worth and everything gets put onto what we do. There was a very good book um, called Serving Without Sinking by John Hindley serving without sinking 
which I can recommend if you want a book about serving God in the church. I think, it's, I think it really picks up on a lot of this kind of thing. If we start to serve God reluctantly, you know, maybe we think, well, God, you owe me. You know, you're lucky to have me. That's, I think, a good sign that we are serving without love. And so we need to, to be thinking, you know, why are we doing what we are doing? Are we doing things out of love or are we doing them because, you know, that's how we find our sense of self-worth or, or whatever it might be. We want our own little empire. Very easy to do. So we need to, we need to, to think about that. And I think we need to be praying that God would give us love. Now, we mustn't take for granted love that I think actually I've come to realize that love although it's it is a natural human thing I think love is actually one of the hardest things isn't it to do to really love and you know we need to be constantly coming back and praying and asking God to give us that love love for him love for others to help us live in his ways and the second thing is thinking about love as a as a church is love what we are known for as a church because it's really struck me, particularly lately, that the world is really starved of love. There's very little of it out in the world. And I think particularly a lot of younger people are just growing up without, in, in many broken families, they've never really known what it means to be part of a loving family. And, and do they experience that when they come into the church? Is that what we as a church are known for? This is what it says um, in uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John, the, um, who also wrote Revelation, in fact, but um, the letter of 1 John is very much about love. This is what it says in 1 John 4, verse 7, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I think that's a good challenge to finish with. You now we love when we're born of God, when we know God. So when we know him better, we should be loving more. And so that's something I think for us as a church to, to think about and to pray about and to, to aim for, to be praying that we would be a church that's known for love and that's knowing for, uh, for loving one another. And so why don't we do that now and ask God to, uh, to help us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, help us as a church not to be um, doing things, doing lots of things for you, um, persevering and putting on lots of events and all sorts of things, Lord, but doing it without love. We do thank you, Lord, for the love in our church and pray that you would help our love to grow, that you would help us to, uh, to serve you out of a heart of love for you and for others. And that love would be something that people really experience when they come here. And uh, would really know in our, all, all our relationships. So we pray that you would help us and transform us uh, to be people who grow in our love for you and our love for one another and for the world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've seen in the, the news over the past few years, things where sort of scandals have come out in the church where uh, things were not always as they seemed to be. Um, so you may have heard of, um, for example, Jonathan Fletcher, 
who was the vicar for many years at Emmanuel Church Wimbledon. He was well known in um, you know, church circles. He was quite an influential uh, person. Um, and it came out uh, in the newspaper a few years ago that he had, for a long time, he had been abusing young men. And um, this had been going on and, and apparently no one had, had noticed it. Similarly, um, a year or two back, there was um, an evangelist called uh, Ravi Zacharias. He died um, a few years ago. Uh, and uh, he, he travelled the world, you know, speaking and you know, evangelising. And many people came to faith through him. And yet, it turns out that after he died, it all came out that, about um, abusing uh, women and about having inappropriate uh, relationships with uh, many um, different women uh, and so on. And you might rightly ask, how on earth does this happen? Now, how on earth does it happen that something on the surface can appear to be going well and can appear to be good, and yet if you look behind what's happening, there is real evil lurking and real problems? How does that happen? And I think that this passage, this letter in Revelation, is a really important letter for us to be thinking about as a church because it, it speaks, I think, into this kind of situation and says, you know, it helps us perhaps to have a, a bit of a spiritual checkup and to say, are we doing ourselves what is, what is right? You know, are the conditions in our lives, in our church, healthy? And that's what this letter is, is about. But just let's just put this into context before we look at the actual letter, because this is, it's written to a church in Ephesus, in a particular church. And um, Ephesus is mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. You may know if you read uh, Acts, you know in Acts chapter um, 19, then they talk about um, Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and it's in Ephesus. In fact, I think, do you remember a couple of years ago, two or three years, I think we looked, did Discipleship Explored as a Lent course. And do you remember the videos? I think they went to Ephesus and he looked at the ruins of this temple. You can still go and see it. It's in Turkey, in modern-day Turkey. And, um, and so there was a, you know, the, the, the Artemis temple was a massive thing for Ephesus. And Paul comes along preaching the gospel and there's a riot in the city because they're taking too many people away from Artemis. Um, so the early Christian church knew what it meant to have opposition they knew what it meant to face persecution. Uh, and that's the context of Ephesus. And um, this letter, Revelation, as far as we know, is probably written around, we think, about 90 AD. So maybe about 40 years after, after Ephesus was first. So this is a church that's about 40 years old uh, at this point. So let's look at what the letter actually, actually says. Uh, it's, it starts out, as all of the letters start out, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Um, every letter has the same kind of opening formula. I don't know why it says to the angel. It, it might mean, it, an angel can mean a messenger. That's just what the word means. It means a messenger. Um, or it could be, it could be the, the leader of the church, you know, the, the, um, the pastor, um, I think that the idea is, it seems to me, that uh, it, it, it's just this idea of it being to, to all of us. 
you know, that this is actually a message which is not just for this particular church at that time, but is actually for all of us to listen in on. And this is a, this is a message which is to all churches. And um, every opening statement, it starts, it kind of draws on this vision. Do you remember last week, we were looking at that amazing vision of Jesus Christ. And it says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Remember, we looked at that wonderful vision of Jesus last week. And every, every, the, every letter starts with something connecting with Christ. So what does he say to them? Uh, well, he, uh, he, he commends the church. Uh, he says, I know your deeds. It's interesting, actually, he says that, isn't it? He doesn't say, I know your faith. He says, I know your deeds. And he says, um, they seem to be doing uh, pretty well. You know, so they're working hard for God. He says, I know your hard work and your perseverance. They are doing lots of things for the Lord. Um, they are striving for purity. You know, they want to stick to the message of the Bible and they want to stick to the the right way of living. So he says, um, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people and that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So they are, uh, they're sticking to the message of the Bible, they're sticking to the message of the apostles and they, they don't tolerate wicked people. They don't t tolerate people who turn away from, uh, from God's ways and they're commended for that. Um, and they persevere in suffering it says there in verse 3, you've persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So they've kept going despite the persecution which they are, they are suffering. And as we, as we heard at the beginning, they must have been in, in Ephesus encountering some quite serious opposition from this Artemis um, cult in Ephesus. So, so they knew what it was to suffer for the Lord. And, and they're commended for that. They, they're working hard, they're striving for purity, they are enduring suffering. In other words, if God wanted to advertise what it meant to be a church, you know, if God was producing a brochure saying, this is what the church should be like, he'd want to put Ephesus on the front cover, wouldn't he? You know, look at Ephesus. You know, they're working hard. They're, they're pure. They want to be pure doctrinally. They are, um, they're enduring hardship and persecution. What a church! You know, imagine, look, they're doing so well. And yet, and yet, they come in for criticism. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. They'd lost their first love. And Jesus says, consider how far you've fallen. He says, all of that stuff that you're doing, the work, the, the perseverance, the purity, all of that stuff, you've, it, it's a terrible thing to fall away from love. Now, why is that so significant? Why is that such a significant thing uh, that Jesus says? Well, that's because life uh, should be all about love. That is literally the one thing that God wants us to do. 
You think about the, the greatest commandments that we had just at the start of the service. Think about what Jesus says. What are the greatest commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. The second one is to love your neighbour as yourself. So Jesus himself says those are the two greatest commandments. They are love is, is, is what God wants us to do. Again, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans, he says in Romans chapter 13, verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. Love is the fulfilment of the law. So we are to love others. That's, we fulfil the law not by, if you like, a black and white obedience to the letter of the law, but the, obeying the law of love which stands behind it. So you think, for example, of, of do not murder. Yes, we shouldn't murder anyone, but what does that mean about how we should treat them instead? And this is what, this is the point, isn't it? That we need to love people, not simply just avoid doing bad things to them. And uh, finally, the, the, um, Paul says the famous passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we looked at this as a church a few months ago. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So Paul says that you can be as spiritual as you like, do as many things as you like uh, for God, but if you're doing it without love, it's all in vain that actually love is the key and it's very it's possible we learn from this passage it's possible to be doing a lot of things seemingly for God a lot of spiritual things but not actually have love in your heart and that is actually a very serious uh, problem that's not a good place to be and this is why Jesus says Back in uh, Revelation chapter 2, he says, uh, Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now that's a serious thing. He says, Repent, turn away from that. He says, Repent of doing those spiritual things, but doing them without love. Turn back to the love that you had at first. So otherwise, I'll take away your lampstand. Saying, so, you know, you, you're going to stop being a church. If you don't start actually acting in love, you're going to stop being a church. You're not going to, you know, there's not going to be a, be a church in Ephesus anymore. And that's a very serious thing, isn't it? Um, but he says, there is a, a message of um, encouragement there in verse 6 again, but you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, or Nicolaitans, I, I'm not sure either how you pronounce that. Uh, which I also hate. There, there's no record of the Nicolaitans. Uh, it may be a symbolic thing. Um, it may be presumably some group who were just trying to draw the Ephesians away from God, perhaps, or trying to infiltrate the church. Um, looking at other letters, that may be the case. 
So they wanted to stay pure, they wanted to stay close to God, uh, but they didn't have love, that was their problem. And so um, the letter finishes, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just another clue there that this is not just a letter for Ephesus, but this is a letter for everyone. Now it was to Ephesus, but it's for, for us all to listen in on and to learn from. And um, I like that it says what the Spirit says. You know, we've got the, the Father speaking, we've got Jesus speaking, we've got the Spirit speaking. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when God speaks, they speak together and are all involved in this process. And um, the concluding, concluding bit, he says, to the one who's victorious. So to the one who's, this all often finishes to the one who's victorious. Just the one who persists, to the one who carries on with God, despite everything. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And this is looking ahead to the end of the book, looking ahead to the chapter 21, which is the, the image of the new creation, the, the new Jerusalem. And he's saying that those who are victorious will be there in the new creation and will eat from the tree of life. And that the paradise of God is really thinking about the Garden of Eden. And that's what God is restoring and God is bringing us into, is bringing us back, if you like, into the world as it should be into that perfect world with the tree of life and, and so on. That's what the imagery is. So as we, we come to the end of this, uh, of this passage, let's just uh, take a moment to think about how this applies to us, or just some questions really for us to think about. I think the main message of, of this that really struck me is that orthodoxy, you know, being biblical, reading the Bible, praying, doing lots of things, everything, it, it means nothing without love. It means nothing without love. So how do we measure up to that? As individuals, I think it's very easy to get into the, the habit of doing stuff for God, but not doing it out of love. Uh, I don't know if, if you've um, experienced this or, or come across this. There was um, someone in my, um, uh, in my dad's church uh, a few years ago who left the church because they, were on the, they sort of looked after the kitchen and um, you know, the teas and coffees and things. And someone wanted to come in and, and change, you know, help out. And I said, no, no, I'm not having this. And they left because they couldn't do the kitchen their way, basically. And you think, did someone really want to serve out of love or had the kitchen become their own little empire, which they just wanted to... Now, it's very easy for that to happen. And that's what happens when we start serving without love. It's because we're not doing things because we want to love God and we want to love others, but because we want our little empire, because our service, if you like, becomes our sense of self-worth and everything gets put onto what we do. There was a very good book um, called Serving Without Sinking by John Hindley, Serving Without Sinking, which I can recommend if you want a book about serving God in the church. I think, it's, I think it really picks up on a lot of this kind of thing. If we start to serve God reluctantly, you know, maybe we think, well, God, you owe me. You know, you're lucky to have me. That's, I think, a good sign that we are serving without love. And so we need to 
to be thinking, you know, why are we doing what we are doing? Are we doing things out of love or are we doing them because, you know, that's how we find our sense of self-worth or, or whatever it might be. We want our own little empire. Very easy to do. So we need to, we need to, to think about that. And I think we need to be praying that God would give us love. Now, we mustn't take for granted love. That I think, actually, I've come to realise that love, although it's, it is a natural human thing, I think love is actually one of the hardest things, isn't it, to do, to really love. And, you know, we need to be constantly coming back and praying and asking God to give us that love, love for him, love for others, to help us live in his ways. And the second thing is, thinking about love as a, as a church, is love what we are known for as a church? Because it's really struck me, particularly lately, that the world is really starved of love. There's very little of it out in the world. And I think particularly a lot of younger people are just growing up without, in, in many broken families, they've never really known what it means to be part of a loving family. And, and do they experience that when they come into the church? Is that what we as a church are known for? This is what it says um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. John, the, um, who also wrote Revelation, in fact, but um, the letter of 1 John is very much about love. This is what it says in 1 John 4, verse 7, and I'll, I'll finish with this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. I think that's a good challenge to finish with. Now we love when we're born of God, when we know God. So when we know him better, we should be loving more. And so that's something I think for us as a church to, to think about and to pray about and to, to aim for, to be praying that we would be a church that's known for love and that's knowing for, uh, for loving one another. And so why don't we do that now and ask God to, uh, to help us. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would uh, help us as a church not to be um, doing things, doing lots of things for you, um, persevering and putting on lots of events and all sorts of things, Lord, but doing it without love. We do thank you, Lord, for the love in our church and pray that you would help our love to grow, that you would help us to, uh, to serve you out of a heart of love for you and for others. And that love would be something that people really experience when they come here. And uh, would really know in our, all, all our relationships. So we pray that you would help us and transform us uh, to be people who grow in our love for you and our love for one another and for the world, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.